Good morning, good morning. So my name is Reese Nealon. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the ministry leaders here in the Lifeway Church. Good to see everybody here today. We got all the Espanol and the Inglés. And we got a bunch of other people too. And we got young people. And we got not so young people. You know, we just, I tell you, you got to love our, we got all kinds here. And we all come together, we get a chance to see that and appreciate that. So uh, I'm excited to be able to preach today. Now, I, I would say some of you know me, and so you know that preaching is actually something that I find to be very difficult. And I went into ministry, and I was excited about going to ministry. I still am, I love the ministry. Sort of the public speaking part of it is the part I enjoy the least. Just being honest with you, to me, to preach is really an agonizing experience. Actually, the speaking, the preaching part is great. It's the preparation. Because there's just hours and hours of Bible study and hours and hours of prayer and lots of anxiety and stress. Jose, you know what I'm talking about. And so, you know, but like now I'm really excited, but it's all that that goes into it. It's just very, I mean, some people, I'm, I'm jealous of them, I'm envious of them. They, they kind of do it, and it's just real easy for them, it seems. And uh, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, you know, if you spend all that time preparing and studying and praying and agonizing and, 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 and all that, I would think you'd be better at this than you really are. And, you know, I would say exactly. That's exactly my point. But, and so I, I actually volunteered to preach today, though. Now, if you know me, I, you know, we had a regional service, and so there were some other options, but I volunteered to preach today. And I am excited. One of the things that I'm uh, excited about, I have something to talk about that I'm, I'm very excited about. Uh, and so that's, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the other thing, though, is I was especially excited as we were planning the service because it appeared to me that this Sunday, Rafael Lua was going to be out of town speaking in San Antonio for the church there. Marty Fuquay was going to be out of town at a leadership meeting in Dallas. And then my wife is out of town, and she's uh, doing a women's retreat out in the Inland Empire. And so I thought, this is a great opportunity Ralph won't be here, Marty won't be here, my wife won't be here. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> so that was my thought. And then I found out Marty Fuquay came back last night. <laughs> and he's here. I offered him the chance to speak today, and he, he respectfully declined. So <laughs> I hope you don't regret that later, Marty. So I'm excited about it. I already mentioned that. So I'm going to ask you an opening question. And uh, so I think this will help us for our, our lesson today. How do you feel about people who love your children? Now, I'm speaking to the parents, of course, and I'll, I'll bring the rest of you in as well. But how do you feel about the people who love your children? And i got to tell you, it's, it's fantastic. I have three children, of course. They're all grown. But I may not remember all the ways that you loved me. But I remember all the ways that other people love my children. 
And even if you don't have children, you can probably relate to that, right? I remember, of course, when our children grew up in this church, I remember all the people that reached out to them and became their friends and the, the campus people and the teen leaders and the young singles and even my friends who befriended them and became mentors for them and cared about them and prayed for them and supported them. And it was just, you know, fantastic. And you feel the same way if it's really any member of your family. My parents just recently, they're uh, 88 and 89 years old, and they're in good, they're in decent health, but, you know, it's a little hard for them now. So they've been living independently for a long time. They moved into a seniors living facility last week. So this is a big step for them. They are uh, very excited about it. My dad's very excited because he gets three meals prepared for him a, a day and he doesn't have to take out the trash. And <laughs> this is a big deal when you're 89. And so anyway, they, uh, they move. But I, through the years, and my parents are wonderful Christians and they're part of our sister church in Nashville, Tennessee. And a lot of, they've been there a long time. A lot of you may have met them in the past, they're just not able to travel out here now. But I know all the people there in Nashville that have reached out and take care of my parents. And I know the people that have helped them. And I know the people that just helped them move this last weekend. And, you know, and so really you could say, in a real way, if you do something for my family, you did it for me. Look over in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I think some of you will know this parable, but it may be that you've never heard a whole sermon on this parable. We're going to do the parable of the sheep and the goats. It begins in verse 31. And I want you to read it along with me, and then we'll come back and make some comments. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my mother. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I needed clothes. And you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are 
cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see now why I asked you the opening question? How do you feel about the people who love your family? And if you can understand that, then this story, this parable of Jesus can begin to make sense. And so you may or may not know this, but every parable has one main point. And every parable of Jesus usually has sort of a gotcha moment, sort of something that he says in the parable that you, you go, I didn't see that coming. And so the gotcha moment in this story is in verse 40, as Jesus is talking about the people on the day of judgment and that incredible scene, and there's people on the right, and there's people on the left, and there's sheep, and there's goats, and they're saved, and there's those that are, are not going to be saved. And the defining thing is, is, that he uses in this parable is, how did you love the poor and needy? And he tells them something that they were surprised to hear, and that you may be surprised to hear is that when you love the poor and needy, you are loving Jesus. Jesus sees that as you are loving. And why is that? Here's where we got to look at verse 40. This is the key, I think, to understanding the whole story. We'll read it again. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine... You did it for me. Did you see that coming? Why does Jesus care? Why does Jesus respond and think this is love for me when you help the poor and needy? Because Jesus looks at these people and he says they're not just hungry. They're not just poor. They're not just thirsty. They're just not in need. They are brothers of mine. They are part of my family. The title of the sermon today is Seeing Jesus. And I'm sure a lot of you are like me, even though I've been following Jesus for many years now. Should I tell you how many? Over 40. I am still trying to learn and figure out who Jesus is. And this is something that I did not realize 
and I'm realizing more of this even recently, is that these people, these people who may not love Jesus, they're not followers of Jesus. They may not care about Jesus at all. They may be rebellious. They may be sinners. But these people are still people that are in the family, the community, the world. These are still people that Jesus loves. And he loves them just as much as he loves any of us who have been baptized into Christ because we decided to follow Jesus and make him Lord of every area of our life. And so you understand that, then the whole parable makes sense. Right? Jesus, I wonder if we need a fuller picture of who Jesus really is. I wonder if we need to see Jesus more clearly. He's been trying to tell them, and he's trying to tell us now a lot more about who he is and his heart. I love the way he started the story. He, he describes himself as the son of man. And you may or may not know that, but that's a fairly obscure prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus, that he would be called the son of man. It's mostly in Daniel and Ezekiel. There are a lot of other names in the Old Testament. But Jesus' favorite description of himself was that he was the son of man. And why did he say that? Because I believe Jesus came, and he came because he loved us. And he came here, and he became in the flesh, and he lived in our world, and he experienced our world. And he wants us to know that, yes, I'm God, but when I was here among you, I lived and understood, and I get it. I came here to know what you experience and to connect with you, to have the whole human experience. And so he's trying to tell us, and he's trying to tell them that, you know, the love that I have, I died on the cross for everybody, whether they ever respond to that or not. In a real way, every person who has ever lived and every person who is alive today is a child of God. They may be a saved child of God, or they may be a not yet saved child of God. But they're still a child of God. He tried to tell us that in the parable of the lost son. Because he was being criticized. And of course, that was the one the thing. They, they, they couldn't understand Jesus. They couldn't understand how much he loved and they couldn't understand how broadly he loved and how many people he loved. And so he got this reputation. He was actually criticized for it because he was the friend of sinners. And so they challenged Jesus, like, why are you hanging out with these? You're hanging out with the down and out. You're hanging out with the worst in our society. You need to separate yourself from them. And so what did he do? He told the parable, told three parables, actually, Luke 15. The last one was the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. And the gotcha moment in that story is there's two sons, and one of them, by all appearances, is good and righteous and moral and obedient, saved. And the other one is the opposite, unfaithful, derelict, sinner. The story describes him doing and 
living in the most despicable way that you could. But the power of the story is that the rebellious son and the obedient son were both sons of God that he loved to the same extent. Do you see where we're going? Even during days of Jesus on earth, it wasn't just the, the, the sinners that he loved. He, he had this healing ministry, and we're going to talk more about this, but he was supposedly just came to the Jewish people. But as you read the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts we have of the life and the ministry of Jesus, what you see is you see him reaching out to a Samaritan woman. You see him healing a bunch of lepers, at least one of whom was a Samaritan because it was the only one that came back and said thank you. Might have all been Samaritans. You see him reaching out to a Roman centurion, to Assyrians, and he'd see him reaching out to Decapolis, which was this large area where a lot of Gentiles lived. In all these stories, Jesus, in all of his life, Jesus demonstrates, my love is just not deep. My love is wide. And because of that, I care about all people, no matter what their moral standing is, no matter what their spiritual standing is, whether or not they're Jews or they're not. And you know what? Also, whether they are in poor and needy and in the needing of my help. Do you see that? So I did a little study this week, and as I was reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you may have never done the math. Anybody know how many chapters there are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The story, if you don't know the Gospels, the story is broken down into chapters. Anybody? Don has a guess. How many, Don? 80. Okay, well, that's, that's decent. 89. Thank you. Did some quick math over here. Who was that? Did you already know that, or did you just do the math? Okay, well, that's good. Because most of these people don't know how many chapters there are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You knew, and you added it correctly. But here's the thing. The ministry of Jesus to the poor and needy. Of those 89 chapters, 43 of them have specific mention of Jesus doing something for the poor and the needy. Almost half. And you probably already know this, many of those chapters have multiple descriptions of Jesus reaching out to the poor and to the needy. Say, so why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus spend so much time? And by the way, my ministry knows this because I've been preaching about this recently. There are three primary things that Jesus did. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read through the Gospels. And you'll see it. One is he preached the word to those that were lost and needed to hear the message. Number two is he devoted himself to a few people to train and help them to mature and be the best Christians they are. He was involved, became friends with them. We call that in this church sometimes discipling. And three, he ministered to the poor and the needy. But let's be honest. In our church, that ministry to the poor and the needy 
in the culture of our church, in the history of our church, that part has been very diminished. Certainly in comparison to the ministry of Jesus. So why did do this? Aren't there more important things? Why did Jesus care so much? My answer to that is he couldn't help himself. It's the same way we are about our families, isn't it? If someone has ever been mad at somebody in your family, you ever been disappointed at somebody in your family, but you know what you do? You just keep on loving them. Because they're family. My children, I hope they're not listening to this on Facebook Live. I hope they're not listening. They have disappointed me so many times. I have been so angry with them. And you know what I'm talking about, parents. I mean, I've been, I, I, you can always tell when I'm really angry with them growing up because I always forget their names. You know, I would call, I would call them the wrong names, right? Robert Joseph David, you know. But you just keep loving them because it's family. That's why Jesus he can't help himself. You can't have all these people coming to him with, that are poor and needy, and he has the opportunity, and, and in his case, the miraculous power to do something and not do anything. He couldn't help himself. What's he going to do, turn them away? Would you do that to your family? My wife, God bless her heart. She's not here today, and I hope she's not listening to this on Facebook either. <laughs> but I have been so disappointed in my wife sometimes. I know. I have been so angry with my wife sometimes. Oh, my. But you know what I do? I just keep loving her. Because that's what you do with family. And by the way, you already know it's true. There have been several occasions where she was disappointed in me. And there were several occasions where she's been angry with me. But you know what? She keeps loving me. So I'm wondering today... If we should open our eyes. And I'm trying to paint a big picture for you. I'm trying to give you a better picture of who Jesus is. I want you to see Jesus. Now this is going to get real practical and we're going to close out with this here as we get more about the ministry of the poor and needy. But it's bigger than that. Hopefully now, if you understand this about Jesus and how he loved then stuff and other stuff in the scripture starts to make sense to you. Like when Jesus said, they asked Jesus, what is the first and greatest commandment? Do you know that story? It's in Matthew 22. It's in other stories. And they said, well, just pick one, Jesus. And they were trying to trap him, and they thought maybe they could catch him and say, well, you know, if he picks one, he says, you know, well, he answered. He says, you know, it's actually 1A and 1B. He says, the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this is, a, this is what it's all about. This sums it all up. 
If you understand the heart of Jesus, then you understand what he's saying is, hey, you want to know how to love me? You just love all these people that I left here around you to love. I don't know if you noticed, picking in L.A., it's a target-rich environment. A lot of people, a lot of people needing love. A lot of people needing love that are not even in this room today. He says, Jesus says, if you want to know how to love me, you just love the people around you. You treat them like family. And yes, that means you share your faith with them. And yes, that means you invest in them spiritually and you become friends and you help them to grow and help them to find Jesus or help them to grow in Jesus. But yes, you also minister to them and give to them and meet the needs of the poor and the needy. Because that's the ministry of Jesus. And that's who he was. How do you love Jesus? What kind of gift can you give to the man who has everything? Right? What are we going to give to Jesus? Jesus says, let me make it simple for you. Here's how you can love me. You just go out and love the people around you. You go out and love them with the same heart that I love them, and you treat them like family. So, my ministry knows this. This year I started a series on the ministry of Jesus to the poor and needy. And so, this is now our number six in our series. Marlon's done a couple of them with me. Thank you, Marlon. But we've done this series because what I have come to understand from looking at my own life and looking at the Bible is that we've got a big change to make in our church. Can I be honest with you? I would say when I look at Jesus and when I look at the Bible, us as a church, I'm not talking about individuals, I'm just talking about collectively, I would say we are mediocre at best in our love for the poor and the needy. Now you need to make your own evaluation and you need to make the evaluation of your own life. This has been a point of repentance for me. I told my ministry this when I first started on this series. I, uh, I've been in the ministry a long time. I told you earlier I've been following Jesus for 40 years over. I've been actually preaching in the full-time paid ministry for 37 years. And when I started in this series, I could not remember, looking back at my 37 years of preaching, I could not remember even one complete sermon that I had preached on the ministry of Jesus to the poor and needy. Now, it's been a part of a lot of sermons, but I couldn't even remember one complete sermon. So now we've had six. Well, this is part of my repentance. And some of you may be already saying, well, how long is this series going to go? The people in my ministry always ask that question. Because they've been known to go for a long time. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to keep going. 
until I think that we begin to get it. Because I don't think we do. This is what disciples of Jesus do. There's several things that disciples, followers of Jesus do. Christians do. Yes, they share their faith. Yes, they're committed and involved in the body of Christ. Yes, they give their money to support the work of the church. Uh, yes, they get involved and invest in relationships where they can help each other to grow spiritually. Yes, 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 yes. But you know what also followers of Jesus do? They feed the hungry. They give the thirsty something to drink. They give those that need clothes, clothes. They visit the sick. They care about the people in the community around them. I don't know if you thought about it later. Church. This kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is, we are called to a revolutionary and radical love for the people around us. And part of that is our ministry to the poor and the needy. So if you understand, if you begin to understand and see Jesus here, what you begin to understand is that even the fact that we're going to be judged on our ministry, our personal ministry, our personal love for the poor and needy, even that begins to make sense. Right? Because if you're not doing that, you're not filling the first greatest commandment. You're not fulfilling 1A or 1B. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. If that is not an active, real part of your ministry. Now, I know this is a part we don't want to talk about. But there's a reason Jesus told the parable this way. There's a great day coming. There's a judgment day coming. And the Son of Man who came here to be with us and connect with us and relate to us as humans is now going to be sitting on a throne. And it's the end of time. And all the people in the world and all the people in this church building today are going to come before Him. And there's going to be a decision made. Now for Jesus, it won't be a difficult decision. Because he's been looking at us, and he's been watching our life, and he's been seeing our hearts. But isn't it interesting that in this parable, when Jesus talks about what's going to separate sheep from goats, it's all about what you did and how much you love the poor and the needy. Do you actually know this? A lot of people don't. We've preached them all in my group now. There are three parables where Jesus specifically tells us that your place in eternity is going to be determined, not exclusively, but partly by your ministry, personal ministry to the poor and needy. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus, go back and read it. 
or listen to my message on Facebook Live. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And now, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Here's the good news. All of us can do this. It's simple. It's within your grasp. There are many things in the church that you are never going to be asked to do. And you don't have to be able to do those. You're probably never going to be asked to preach. You may never ask to be going on a mission team. You know, we all have talents. We all have gifts. We all have ways. But here's something that all of us can do. You know what you can do? You can love your neighbor. And you can help the poor. And you can help the needy. And Jesus says all of us are going to get a chance to do that. So I want to close out. And I've uh, prepared a few slides that I think will help make this practical for us. So let's go ahead and put the first slide up there. Okay, so it's up here, but it's not on the screen down here. Why is that, Derek? Oh, there it is. He spoke and it came into existence. So this will just be a way, I, I just need you to personally, let me step out of here, I'm in, echoing the back. Let me step out here and look at this slide with me for a minute. In fact, you might want to take a picture of it. There's three slides coming. This is the first one. This is the money that was given in the church last year. Now, it's in the Lifeway Church. That doesn't mean you may have given money outside of this, but this is what we received. Of all the money that we received last year in the Lifeway Church, 85% of it went to local missions. In other words, that's what you gave on a typical Sunday and that went to support this ministry and all that we're doing and all of that. 13% went to foreign missions. We're having a missions contribution soon. Actually, it's ongoing now. We want to conclude that. April 28th is sort of the, the date we're shooting for. We'll take the money after that, of course, for a couple of months as well. But 13%. Here's how much money we gave to Hope Worldwide last year. 2%. 2%. Now, I'm not saying that Hope Worldwide is the only place for you to give in order to meet the needs of the poor and needy. I want to talk about hope because I think that's a good place to consider. But for many of you, I think I know you, and I think the truth is the only significant amount of money that you gave to help the poor and needy last year went to Hope Worldwide. And you know what it was? It was 2%. Now, I can tell you this, you're going to have to evaluate yourself because you don't the good news is, on the day of judgment, it's not going to be me sitting on the throne. You know, I, it's not going to be, you don't have to prove anything to me. But you are going to have to answer to Jesus. And when I look at those numbers right there, that doesn't look like the ministry of Jesus to me. And I can tell you personally, those numbers, those percentages are not the same for me. I give a lot more than that to the ministry of the poor and needy. And let me just say this before we go on. I'm not suggesting that you give less to local missions. Certainly not suggesting that you give less to foreign missions. But perhaps 
there's a way that we could give more to the ministry of the poor and the needy. Next slide. So there's two things I want to give you. This is the first one that I think all of us need to do. Do something to help the poor and needy around the world. Now you probably know this already. The poorest people in the world do not live in the United States of America. Did you know that? Not even close. And in fact, we are collectively the richest people perhaps among the richest in the world. I told this to my ministry, and this may shock you, but they have a website you can go to called the Global Rich List. Just put that in, type that in, look at it. What you will find there is if you as an individual have a gross income of $34,000 a year, which many of you have, most of you have, then you are the top 1% wage earners in the world. $34,000 puts you in the top 1%. How can we in good conscience stand before Jesus, being as wealthy as we are, and not have done something to help needy, poor and needy people around the world? So here's Hope Worldwide. Here's the website. So much I could say about it. I like it because it's us. It's our fellowship. It's fellow disciples of Jesus who are doing the work at Hope Worldwide and who are doing the work out in the mission field. And we have great stuff that's going on in Cambodia and Bolivia and Africa and India and Mexico and Central America and South America. Just go on the website. I don't have time to tell you all about it. But here's the most exciting thing for me. Every dollar you give to Hope Worldwide becomes $14 in goods and services to the poor and needy. I hope you know that. But what they do is, the staff at Hope Worldwide is able to go out and get government grants. They're able to solicit donors, corporate donors and individual donors from outside of our church who want to make a difference with the poor and needy. That's how $1 becomes 14 The last thing I'll say here, we move on. I want to invite you all to be part of the 700 Club. And uh, some of you may know there's a a Christian television station, but this is not the 700 Club we're talking about here. (laughs) That's not the club I'm inviting you to be a part of today. So here's the thing. Just do a little math. If you decide, and not everybody here could do it, but a lot of you could, if you decide to give $700 a year to Hope Worldwide, that's really not that much money. What does that figure out to? Less than $60 a month? You give $700 to Hope Worldwide with that 14 multiplier, that is $10,000 worth of goods and services to the poor around the world. That's pretty exciting. And keep in mind what makes it even better is you give more than $700, and many of you do, and many of you can. That number just keeps going up. And you know what else? Some of you, you need to understand this. The dollars that we give, they go a lot further in the places that we're giving them to. Dollars buy a lot of pesos. They buy buy a lot of, uh, what kind of currency do they have in Cambodia? Nobody knows. 
What is it? I have no idea what you're saying. But anyway, um, not because you didn't try. But it goes a long way. The dollar is, is strong. It makes a difference. It makes a, even more than a $10,000 difference, effectively, which is $700 a year. Okay, last slide. Not only do you need to do something to help the poor and needy in your and around the world, but also in your community. And so there's many ways you can do that. I just put up here Union Station Homeless Services, the website for Union Station. And the reason is, what, here's what I would encourage you to do. Every individual needs to choose what I think Jesus would want you to do, is do something, invest yourself consistently in something that you're doing to help the poor and needy in your community. And for me, I'm just moved by homeless people. And I'm not saying you're not, but you have maybe something else. Maybe for you it's, it's, it's seniors, or it's, it's children, or it's foster care, or adoption, or it's, what else is there? Battered women, uh, children with cancer, hospital, work, volunteering in hospitals where people are sick and have needs. Wh whatever it is, choose something. Even better, don't just do it individually. Get your small group to do it with you. One of the things that I've told my small group for many years now is that I want each one of our small groups to have a community project that they do consistently once a month, something they do together to make a difference with the poor and the needy. It's time to close. One day, your children... Those of you who are married and have children, or those of you who get married and have children in the future, one day your children are going to tell a story about how much you did or you didn't love the poor and the needy. As we go, I want to remind you of something else in closing. The ministry of Jesus, I mentioned there were three primary things that he did. He preached the word, he made individually disciples, and then he ministered to the poor and needing. We tend to separate those into three separate compartments. With Jesus, it was all one ministry. It was all a part of who he was and somebody who loved the way he did. And so as you go, as you answer the call of Jesus to go out into your community and to make a difference and love people that need and, and meet needs of people, share your faith as you go. Share your faith with them. Share your faith with their family. Share your faith with their friends. Share your faith with whatever organization and the people that work in the organization that you may be partnering with that's what jesus would do i have uh, personally thanks to marlin got involved with the union station homeless services both of us are mentoring uh, a homeless person who's transitioning out of homelessness uh, i had a guy john came last year i got a new guy daniel this year i'm very excited about helping him and i'm also part of what i'm excited about is i'm i'm going to try to help him become a christian John and several of his homeless friends came with me last year to church quite a bit. Some of you met them. 
Uh, it's really interesting having homeless people in your church service, but uh, it was great. So I'm hoping that Daniel will be the same. But go and share your faith. And I want you to imagine what this church would be if we were to go out and we were to live and really follow Jesus in the way that we didn't, not just the way we shared our faith, not just the way that we developed discipling relationships within our fellowship, but also in the way that we love the poor and the needy. I said this to my church last week, so I'll say it to you. You realize why the crowds came to Jesus, don't you? You know, we have trouble sometimes getting one visitor to come to church with us. Jesus had thousands. You know why they came? You know why they primarily came? Most of them did not come to hear the preaching of the word. They came because Jesus was somebody who cared. And Jesus did something for them. And it was the poor and the needy and the sick and the blind and the lame. Those people came to Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus shared. And many were baptized. Maybe it wasn't even the people that he healed. But it was the impact of other people watching somebody who loved that much that they also decided, I want to follow Jesus. Let's pray as we close out. Jesus, we want to see you better. We want to understand you better. We want to know how to share our faith and help each other to be better disciples and how also to minister to the poor and needy. Help us to figure it out. Help us to love, most of all, Jesus, just help us to be a church that has a heart like yours, that sees every person, saved or unsaved, as family. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children. Help us to see the people around us the way you did and the way you do. And help us to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your day.